Hello and welcome to When We Were Young, the show where we take a look back at different parts of pop culture we loved from our formative years. That's roughly between 1980 and the year 2000, and we experience them again today to see if they still hold up. I'm Becky, and I am most likely to hear with all the voices of the mountain and paint with all the colors of the wind. I'm Chris, your podcast host, most likely to ask the grinning bobcat why he grins. And I'm Seth Pearson, the co-host who is enough to make kings and vagabonds believe the very best. <laughs> um, so we're going to take our first dive into music from the past, but we're not covering a standard song or album. We're actually going to take a listen to all the pop singles released by Disney in the '90s. Oh boy! <laughs> oh good God! <laughs> Now, if you were around in the '90s, Which, you might remember let's that. Let's hope that you were. <laughs> let's hope that people are not listening who were born past the night. You guys, some people are listening to this as a history podcast, like before <laughs> oh my God, their we're professors. Lives. Guys, we're professors. How far in the future are we being listened to right now? I think we're being listened to by aliens. I hope so. I hope so, and and I hope that they judge our species. By what we discuss right here and right now. So, all you aliens, if you were around in the '90s, you might remember that starting in 1992 with Aladdin,、uh, every movie that Disney released, an animated movie, they made a radio play. So they re-recorded、um, a song that the characters sing and put it on the radio and made a million dollars, <laughs> millions upon millions. Probably more than more than. Wait, when you say radio play, you don't mean an actual radio-based reenactment <laughs> of <laughs> these did, films. They did War of the Worlds. <laughs> you mean? <laughs> <laughs> the Orson Welles, the starring Simba. <laughs> um, you know, it was extremely.、Uh, all those songs were extremely popular, and it was a very influential marketing move to tie in a song with a popular recording artist, and you know, try to get more people interested in your movie by having them buy the albums and buy the singles,、um, and especially in the case of singles with、uh, tape decks back in the time. Uh, like who didn't have like, tape decks? Tape decks. <laughs> What's, What's that? that? It's the thing where you roll with the pencil when it, when the, the thing comes out. I don't even remember, guys. <laughs> you see, my children,、oh, in、okay. the far past,、uh, audio used to be recorded to tape, an actual magnetic tape. It was a physical thing. It was a physical object, and you had to rewind it and like fast forward if you wanted to hear a particular song. You, you didn't just, just wind in one direction. Thank you, Professor Chris. You're welcome. Please take off. Aliens. <laughs> Please talk,、uh, take off your professor hat.、Um, so we're going to actually listen to all these songs today to see if they were actually good because they all made a fuck ton of money.、Uh, but more than a million dollars. No, I believe we don't know. The official box office terms are a fuck ton. <laughs> It sold a fuck ton of units. That's on the accounting sheets for Disney. It's just fuck ton. <laughs> we checked the records. So, um, so before we dive into the actual songs, I want to talk about um what your actual history was with Disney and maybe specifically Disney music. So personally, I mean, I'm a Disney girl through and through, and because I'm into musical theater, and of course, I'm gonna like 
all the people that make awesome musicals and then they go to animated movies and Disney snatches them up like they're doing right now with Lin-Manuel Miranda from Hamilton. They're making, you know, uh, Moana is coming out with his music. So they've been doing this for a while where they take great composers from Broadway and put them to work for them. So I just was obsessed with the Lion King soundtrack, the Aladdin soundtrack, Little Mermaid, even though it was 1989. So not part of this podcast. (gasps) I know we're just doing 90s. Um, Out of bounds. (laughs) Um, You know, even like Pocahontas, like all of it. I had every single album. I had the classic Disney albums that were like compilations that weren't just the Disney animated movies, but, you know, Pete's Dragon, old, old movies, live action ones that had all the songs. I listened to them on repeat. I actually don't even think I liked music that wasn't Disney or Broadway until (laughs) like high school (laughs) with like Alanis and No Doubt. Like, I think I just like Disney and Broadway. And to me, they were kind of the same thing. Um, I, uh, one of the first songs I ever played on the piano was I Just Can't Wait to Be King. (laughs) I learned how to play that. I think I can still play it today. If you put a piano in front of me, I don't know anything else except I Just Can't Wait to Be King. As Seth (laughs) looks over at his keyboard. there is one in the corner of the room. We're going to try that later. Special segment at the end of the podcast. Stay tuned for (laughs) Becky. That's going to be the playtime. Exactly. Oh God. God, Pressure's on. Literally Um, play. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously I love the Disney movies, but in regards to the music, just they're, they're just, there's nothing better, honestly. And like what girl, (laughs) what girl in her thirties now? I made a face. I'm actually going to talk about Little Mermaid, but like what girl doesn't know all the words to like part of your world? Uh, just, and like, who didn't, like, have a sing-along on the bus to school of a whole oh, new world? No, no, every little tiny gay did, too. I promise you. I promise you that. I thought you were somewhere out there. <laughs> right. Oh, oh. That was an American tale. Honestly, yes, that was our exactly. Last I covered You're the cheating on Don Bluth. No, no, I played every bass of it, baby. And that's interesting to talk about Don Bluth. That was our last podcast. But one of the things we noted was that one of the first um, animated movies to make a radio play was with an American tale in Somewhere Out There, where they re, uh, re-recorded with, you know, human musicians, <laughs> not the squeaky-voiced uh, kids <laughs> that sang in the movie. I but... mean, to be honest, they were voiced by humans and not actual mouse. <laughs> yes, they were voiced by, if you call children humans. Yes. Uh, they this re- art was a lie. <laughs> They, they refused to use actual yeah. mice. It was just to it was gonna be actual songs. mice just like squeaking. That's a lack um, of artistic commitment if you ask me. Poked them with needles to get them to squeak in the right pitch. But an American Tale was one of the first movies, uh animated movies in this modern period to do that and like re-record with adults singing. Uh and it was a huge hit somewhere out there. And I think Disney took notice and every single movie in the nineties had a radio play. So, um, Chris, do you want to talk about your uh, personal history with Disney music? Well, I had never heard of Disney before we started researching for this podcast. Diz what? Diz who? Uh, (laughs) I also had, I had a a little cassette holder that had all of my cassettes and I arranged them all in the order of the movies that came out because it was all Disney Mm -hmm. because like Becky, I didn't listen to actual music. I only listened to Disney music until I was... Oh my God, my heart is growing three sizes. 14 years old. I, my mm-hmm. first CD was uh, No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. And I was I thought I was so cool because I was like, lions aren't singing this. These are but just now, human women. But now I want Nala to sing Just a Lion. Well, I mean, I would definitely also have owned that. That would have been the best of both worlds. Um, yeah, so I owned all of the tapes, I think up through, oh no, Hercules 
was a CD. I bought a CD, you guys. Oh my God. Damn. And that was where I cut off. of the future. Yeah, it was uh, tapes up through like Little Mermaid through Hunchback, a Hercules CD, and then I was just, I was just done with Disney. I didn't have Mulan. As we talked about on the Don Bluth podcast, I was a huge fan of animated features from the very beginning of my life. I was introduced to a lot of the Disney movies really from the 40s, 50s, and 60s really early on by basically by my grandparents on both sides of my family. It was kind of a part of every holiday, Thanksgiving and Christmas, like any of that, to sit down and watch just animated movies that we all loved and we all loved watching together. And then also as part of that, I I got uh, cassette tapes from my grandmother on my father's side. So I basically had at least three or four cassette tapes full of the classic Disney songs of every era. And I had those cassette tapes basically from when I was seven or so, or I guess that's the age around when I first like realized I had those. And I would listen to them all the time. And it's really funny, like, like both of you, I listen to very little music, but that type of music, music from... Um, animated movies, music from Broadway shows. Like, my my niche was very specific. I loved Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, you really, really liked Cats. <laughs> I really, really <laughs> liked Cats and Phantom of the Opera. Oh, that Phantom be... of the Opera was the very first CD I ever bought. That mm. was that was the first CD I ever had, but I took it from my dad. Um, that was the first Broadway CD I ever had, because that was the first show I ever saw. Oh. Tragic Kingdom was the second CD I I ever bought uh, Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette was the first um, a good purchase but I accumulated um, a ton of Broadway stuff um, but literally the cassette tapes of Disney songs basically never exited my rotation of music that I would reach for and just want to listen to and those were mostly the songs of like the older stuff like Pete's Dragon and Fox and the Hound, and The Jungle Book, Fox Bed and the Hound and had a, Like, what was the soundtrack to Fox and the Hound? I don't know. They don't I even, even have think s- about that There was that the one. fox, <laughs> and there was the hound. Wow, it was terrible, huh? <laughs> really, I grew up on a diet of Disney music, and that style of pop songwriting has really never left me, and it's also never left my kind of taste in music. So we were going to listen to every single one, and there are 13... Brace yourselves. <laughs> Gird your loins. Uh, there are 13 songs. Two are from Pixar. Um, and we I thought it was appropriate that we include Pixar in this because um, they did have songs that, you know, were nominated for Oscars and that, uh, you know, one, or, one of them at least was, you know, on the radio and had um, very popular recording artists singing these songs that were in the movie. So I thought it was appropriate to include Pixar. Yeah, because Pixar... They definitely were doing the Disney model of, like, let's have the hit song over the, the closing credits. And I also think, like, it's a, it's a thing we'll dive into, but this really also marks uh, a changeover in the kind of phases of the history of Disney as a filmmaking entity. Yes, uh, The Little Mermaid. It was the beginning of the Disney renaissance. And if you take a look at movies in the 80s from Disney, they're kind of forgettable. Um, Oliver and Company... 
uh, the rescuers, the rescuers down under, the great mouse detective. I'm sure they're all good in their own right. But when you think of Disney, no one really thinks of those movies. And it was kind of a period where I think creatively Disney was suffering. They had broken off with the animators, including Don Bluth, that went over to Don Bluth Studios. Don Bluth became a competitor. And I think uh, that actually made Disney better and and try harder and try to do different things. So the Disney Renaissance really kicked off with The Little Mermaid in the, uh, the late 80s. Uh, they hired Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, who were Broadway composers and lyricists. Um, and they made their first, like, musical. And other, obviously, other Disney movies had music in them. But this was more like a musical musical. And it was just, it was a sensation. Everyone loved it. It was a huge, huge hit. And obviously, they just kept... Uh, cranking out the hits, getting Broadway composers to make animated musicals. Um, and we're going to dive into the first pop single, uh, and that was Beauty and the Beast from the Disney animated movie, Beauty and the Beast, in 1992. In the movie, this is sung by Angela Lansbury, uh, Mrs. Potts. Uh, for the radio, though, uh, it was Celine Dion and Peebo Bryson. Peebo! Now, when is the last time Celine. you heard Peebo Bryson's name? <laughs> I hear it in my dreams every night, Becky. So we're going to listen to uh, a little bit of Beauty and the Beast, the radio single version. Woof. <laughs> True as it can be. Barely even friends. Then somebody Just a little change Small to say the least But a little scared Neither one prepared Beauty and the Beast Even just the same So that was Beauty and the Beast. It was written it by... It certainly was. <laughs> <laughs> In case you didn't know, beauty. <laughs> it charted uh, number nine on the Hot 100, but they won the Oscar for Best Song. The other Beauty and the Beast uh, tracks, Bell and Be Our Guest, were also nominated, but lost out to Beauty and the Beast. Wow. It was written by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. Um, a word about Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, or at least Alan Menken. Um, Good. <laughs> Well, they both that come, has been a word about uh, Howard Ashman. He, Alan Menken wrote the music and score for Little Shop of Horrors with Howard Ashman. Little so, Shop. Uh, let's talk about Beauty and the Beast in this recorded version of it. So, <laughs> what do you guys think? Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I never liked this song. <laughs> do, do you not like it in the movie as so, well? So, I think Angela Lansbury makes this palatable because she's a sweet old lady. She's a teapot. She's watching, it's fine in the movie, but, like, it just sounds kind of rapey to me, like... Rapey? Rapey. What about Whoa. it in particular? We've gone we've gone in strong. I don't think it's inappropriate, though. I really don't. All right, I mean, the lyrics are, like, both a little scared, neither one prepared. Well, neither one is prepared to rape. <laughs> it just sounds like a really bad hookup. It sounds like a bad hookup song. Doesn't mean that it's rape. Uh, I don't know, I mean... The song is so romantic, but like the movie, like maybe this is more of a thing with the movie, but okay. that like he locks her in a tower. Like it's just a little like 
It's rapey. It's so, rapey. It's, so it's okay. weird that there's a love theme for a movie where there's obviously a power dynamic issue. Yes. Yeah, and I feel like the lyrics to the song just kind of like highlight that in a way that just like creeps me out a little bit. I just think it's a random song because it's so tied into the movie that I don't understand. Like a lot of these songs are just love songs or songs that could exist outside of right. the story, but this is like very specific to Beauty and well, the Beast. And so this is going to be a thing that we will get into for almost every song in this podcast. Experiencing the version of this song that exists in the context of the movie is such a different experience mm-hmm. from listening to the pop singer version of it and watching the pop singer music video version of it. Yeah. So, like, I went through for each of these songs and watched the ones that, Becky, you linked to. Mm-hmm. And those were versions of the songs that were done by the pop artists. Yeah, that's, you what, know, yeah, that's where we're exactly, talking about. Almost to a single one of them, my experience of them as pop songs was like, oh, this is total fucking garbage. Like, almost every one of them. But in Spoiler the- for the rest of the podcast. Truly. Well, for Seth some has of- weighed in and he will be sitting the rest of the podcast out. <laughs> well, for some of them, it's going to be very different because I didn't see the original movie and so I don't have that context. But so listening, watching the music video for this and hearing that version of it, it seemed really kind of threatening and weird, as Chris was saying, but watching the version of it in the context of the movie clip, like when Angela Lansbury's character, Mrs. Potts, is singing it, it makes sense. It fits the story of the movie, and it's the thing I'm obviously going to be talking about for the rest of this recording, but it was interesting the way that seeing it in the context of that story added a layer of meaning to really every song, whether I'd seen the movie or not. Um, and I'm going to be honest, like it, it, it was a very different song to listen to in the context of that music video than it was like to see it in the context of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, so as I said, it charted uh, number nine on the Hot 100. Wow. Why do you wow. think it was so popular? Is it because the movie was popular and people liked the music from the movie? So I'll just buy this other recording by, you know, Celine Dion was, I'm sure, pretty popular at the well, time. Well, so what year was this? 91. And if you watch the music video version of it, you'll really quickly pick up on the fact that that is very early on in the meteoric rise of Celine Dion as both a huge pop singer and also specifically a huge pop singer for movie songs. Mm-hmm. Did she have another big movie hit that <laughs> oh, I we'll can't get think to that. of right now? We'll get to that. I wonder, <laughs> will she? Did she? Could will she? she? You're talking about Because You Loved Me, right? From that movie about journalists? <laughs> uh, no, I was talking about My Heart Will Go On. Oh, I one. don't even know what and that on, is. And on and on and on. I, I'm not in eighth grade yet and playing that song. We could have really just done a Celine Dion movie yeah. soundtrack. Well, do you think that it was so popular just because at this point Disney could do no wrong? Everyone loved the music, so they're just like, I'll just buy it because these other people are singing the song I love. I honestly can't fathom why you would listen to this song, like, on purpose. That's what I was also going to ask. Would you no, listen to this today? I would not ever listen to that, this. Even when I had this cassette tape, I would never listen to this version of the song. I don't think I really <laughs> listen. I, I really why liked, don't you like it? Besides the rapey part, is it just because it's, for me, I just feel it's very cheesy. It's very cheesy. I mean, the lyrics are kind of senseless. It's like, 
Song as old as rhyme? What the fuck does that mean? Like, So this was a thing I immediately picked up on about three lines into the song. The None of the lyrics for any of these songs mean anything. What do you mean any of these songs? Any of these songs that we're going to talk about? They make lyrics that sound specific enough to mean something, but are actually completely meaninglessly universal. And it is a that is a very specific ability in pop songwriting, and Alan Menken and Ashman, Ashman. Mm-hmm. and um, and also Tim Rice, who mm-hmm. is a colla- longtime collaborator of Andrew Lloyd mm-hmm. Webber. That is a specific talent that they have in spades. Is that? But you seem to. That's a criticism from you. It is a criticism, but only in the context of my specific taste in music now. Okay. That is a talent that other like groups like the Beatles relied on. But this specific song, like the note that I wrote, and unfortunately it's gonna be a note that will apply to a lot of other ones, but it's as corny and cheesy as quesadilla farts. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something serious. No, of course not. You should know by now, Becky. I do not know how to predict what Seth is going to say. Anytime I prepare something ahead of time, it is likely to be very unserious and most likely fictional. Um, But these songs are so fucking cheesy and corny. But again, when I saw this song in the context of the movie, it still kind of worked on me. It's fine in the movie, yeah. It's, It's... it's almost embarrassing that it still kind of works for me in the context of the movie because they are all I mean, so Angela cheesy. Lansbury makes things work. Like that's she fucking she, sells it. She, so I just wanted to call out some of the lyrics in the song because maybe that's <laughs> what makes me feel like it's rapey or just it just sounds like a bad. It's like okay. baby, it's cold outside. Yeah. Like it's, so okay. What what are they're they? They're describing like their love as bittersweet and strange. Like that is not a good relationship. Like <laughs> why is this romantic? That's like, another word for toxic. But are you when you think of this, you're not thinking of this actual beast, this monster, and this bookish girl. You're thinking when you're listening to the song Celine Dion and Peebo Bryson, like two adults. I think I'm thinking of like whenever I see like a very hot woman with a guy who she should not be with, who's just yes. like kind of schlubby. Okay. Yeah. And I'm just like. I feel like this song might be responsible for those relationships. Like, they might have played that at their wedding. Like, it's just a little bit So out of the context of the movie's plot, it's weird. I guess, I guess the movie's plot does add, like, a layer to this song that's a little bit problematic. And, like, I haven't seen the movie in a long time, so I don't know if that's really a part of the movie or if it's just this song apart from the movie. It just doesn't work for me. But, I don't know, like, barely even friends... Like, then he locked her in a bends? tower. Yeah. Somebody bends. Yeah, that's, I mean... That means somebody bent somebody else. Unexpectedly. They yeah. Bend. Like, that's that's rape. Or it's Stockholm Syndrome. I never thought we would say the like, word rape so much in this Disney podcast. Oh, oh. Just wait till we get to Just oh. Can't Wait to Be King. Oh, oh. That's not on here. <laughs> I know. It's, it's <laughs> Just wait, because we're not going to get there. <laughs> yeah. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. I want to talk about Peebo Bryson for a little bit because we're actually sandwiched uh, between the two Peebo Bryson songs on this list. Peebo Bryson sandwich. Who doesn't want to be in a Peebo sandwich? <laughs> I've got a little Peebo trivia. 
So Pebo facts. He actually had some tax problems. Uh, his tax problems caught up to him, according to Wikipedia. His tax Pebo problems facts. caught up Pebo on tax. him in 2003 when the IRS seized property from his Atlanta, Georgia home. He's reported to owe 1.2 million in taxes dating back to 1984. Oh my God. Pebo? So he's actually a very popular R&B singer before Disney, you know, catapulted him to uh, legendary status. <laughs> I'm sorry, but was he though? Infamous? He was. He was a very popular R&B singer. You know, not like a super big hit maker, but he was popular on the R&B charts. Um, so the IRS auctioned many of his possessions, including both of his Grammy Awards, his oh. electronic equipment, his grand piano, and multiple pairs of shoes. <laughs> so multiple. someone someone out there is wearing Peebo shoes. Now he's shoeless Peebo. Have you walked a mile in Peebo's shoes? Somebody out there has. We'd like to It was bittersweet and strange. <laughs> that didn't matter to the residents of Charleston, South Carolina, and North <laughs> Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, on September 4th of this year, it was declared Peebo Bryson Day in those two uh, those two places, Charleston and North Wait, Charleston. Wait, why those two places? <laughs> Did the entire town just like I guess shoot the Charleston in the head? County? Um, yeah, it was declared Peebo Bryson Day. So September 4th, 2016 is, was Peebo Bryson Day. Seems a little anachronistic. No That's, offense, Peebo. <laughs> that almost seems like it was done ironically out of spite. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, congrats, Peebo, but also, I mean, don't rest on that laurel, Well, I Peebo. hope he got some money along with, like, having a day named after him because he has some major tax problems. <laughs> Peebo, we hope you've squared away with the law. Um, wherever you are out there. I actually don't care. <laughs> I'd like to go on the record as not caring where Peebo is with the law. Tale as old as time. Song as old as rhyme. Peebo and Celine. <laughs> All right, up next is A Whole New World, uh, the love duet from the 1992 movie Aladdin. And again, we've got Peebo Bryson and Regina Bell. Oh, anytime. <laughs> Any old time now. Okay. That was A Whole New World. Uh, it was written by Alan Menken and Tim Rice. Uh, it charted number one on the Hot 100. So it went all the way to number one just for one week, but it did it. Wait, hold on. The Hot 100 is not the same as the Billboard top charts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yes. The, the, oh, it the is. top 100 singles in the that's country the hot, that week oh, so that's is the, the Hot 100. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the first. Number one. Mm-hmm. It was the first and only Disney song to win Best Song at the Grammys. Um, it also won uh, the Best Song at the Oscars. Um, Friend Like Me from Aladdin was also nominated. And it uh, it's noted for replacing Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You as number one on the Hot 100 after Whitney had a then-record 14-week reign at number one. Wow, from cheesy Jesus love God. ballad to cheesy <laughs> love ballad. Yeah, so I... America, you had a type. <laughs> So I think this is a better version of Beauty and the Beast. Oh, this is a much better version. 
It's still that. cheesy. No, it really is. It's still, yeah. again, it's corny and cheesy as quesadilla farts, but <laughs> it's a better go at that. So do you have to do we, that again? We want you to retire no. that. <laughs> nope. Nope. Are you going to do that for every, all of the 13 songs? No, when the song stops sucking... <laughs> I'll come up with a better metaphor. I, I don't think this song sucks. I don't I, I think it. I think it's a good duet from a musical. Well, am I going to listen to this in my car? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to listen to the one of the people in the movie singing it, not yeah. the... Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this is the theme so far that this version in the movie is better, right? Like, do we always like the version in the movie better? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, pretty much. Um... Probably it's... almost always. There might be an exception. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think there's an exception coming up in the few. So this song is definitely about losing your virginity. Am I right? <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I if think it could be about a... anything you want it to be. No, about. I no, think it's about losing your virginity. No, if it literally, if it's about anything, it's about getting that cherry popped. I would like to cite some evidence for my theory. Scholarly sources. Okay. <laughs> no one to tell us no. Yeah. Yeah, that's consent. Don't okay. you dare close your eyes. Okay, I don't get that part. <laughs> Hold your breath. It gets better. Yeah, I'm going to use that one sometime. <laughs> that's your Wait, so word. who's losing their virginity in this song? Pibo Bryson or Regina Bell? Both of them at the same time. Oh, both of them. To, to, to each other. It's romantic. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah, that's so the what... first one was rapey and this one's yes. romantic. Yes, yes. This is, because they're this both is consensual. Okay. Yeah, well, it's consensual and they're both virgins. So I'm like they're a pure shooting before star. I've come so far. This song is dirty. We can't come back really to where dirty. we used to come. Would you listen to this today? Would you Would you play it in your car? Not even on accident. <laughs> <laughs> like, kind of. Like, like if it came on, I wouldn't, like, seek it out. But if it came on, I'd be like, all right, I'll listen to it. Like, I can, I can listen to this one. All right. Beauty and the Beast is kind of like nails on a chalkboard. Okay. All right. Let's just move on. Uh, so that was the uh, section, that was our Peebo section of the podcast. It <laughs> the is now, Peebo portion. It is now over. R.I.P. Peebo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to The Lion King. Uh, the first song is Can You Feel the Love Tonight, the love ballad from the 1994 movie. Um, it is performed by Elton John, and it was written by Elton John and Tim Rice. Here we go. And can you feel the love? screen in this video is really bad it's incredible it's incredible <laughs> this might have been my favorite music video one so that was can you feel the love tonight and i was just singing the alto part because my uh high school choir and show choir pretty much did about half the songs on this list <laughs> and i know the alto parts <laughs> yeah my choir actually also did a lion king medley mm-hmm. so i had a, a solo which i believe was probably one line of circle and what of was it and what was it I'm not gonna not gonna do that. No. <laughs> Can you feel the love tonight? Charted number four on the Hot 100. It won Best Song at the Oscars. Circle of Life, which we'll get to next, and Hakuna Matata, which we'll also get to next. They were also nominated, so that was three songs from The Lion King nominated that year. The Lion King soundtrack was the biggest selling soundtrack for an ever for an animated film until Frozen. 
Wow. So there's some trivia for you. I'm very nostalgic watching this music video. <laughs> it's not a very good music video and there's lots of bad green screen. It's incredibly um, bad. But I'm very nostalgic because I feel like I was around, I was uh, 11 when The Lion King came out and I remember watching a lot of VH1 then. <laughs> oh man, me <laughs> when, too. When they used to play videos. Totally. So I, I can remember being a kid watching music videos and seeing this one come up a lot. And Oh, I'm sure I saw um, it a million times. And honestly, like, I... I, I love this song. Like, and I like Elton John in general. And I think this is a great song that didn't, it's not tied to the movie. Like, he could have just released this as a song and it would have just done just as well. I, well, maybe not just as well because Lion King was a huge, huge movie. But I think it just sounds like a song that would be on the radio. Yeah, this is also kind of the one that really takes me back to a moment. Like, when I hear this song, I just like feel like I'm, you know, a young age, whatever mm -hmm. age I was when it came out. Like, I feel like it was played at school dances, and yet when I oh, think totally. back, like, I was, like, too young to be at school dances, so I don't know what I'm thinking of. It but, may like, have it... still been popular when oh, you I'm were sure in junior high. Oh, I'm sure it was still, high. no, I, I know yeah, that, that it was might... played at, like, elementary yeah. school, like, fucking, I don't know if y'all had Sadie Hawkins dances, but. I did, no. but I know what they are. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what it makes me think of is that age when you're like very the very first like romantic feelings that you have and slow dancing with your crush yeah yes. totally yes. and even though i'm not i don't think i actually did that to the song i was maybe on the wall watching other people it do it and like a nice yeah. feeling and a, no yeah. like the feeling that it brings up for me is standing on walls watching other people <laughs> dance slowly to this song. your answer to yeah. can you feel the love tonight is no <laughs> no, no i can't no i, answer but I would that really like i to. can see from afar the love tonight <laughs> I can imagine the love tonight that there is in other places. What do you, Seth, what do you think of this song? Do you yeah. hate it like the rest? No, it was part of the landscape of my childhood. This was definitely still a part of the Disney movie canon that I liked, you know, and I was still very much like into seeing Disney movies. I, I loved the animation of it. I really do like the songs, and I actually do kind of think these songs hold up separately from the movie, certainly better than the Beauty and the Beast songs mm -hmm. do. Well, this one is interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the version that plays in the movie, right? No, it's not. It's not? No. Elton John does not sing in the movie, either oh, okay. for Circle of Life or Can You Feel the Love Tonight. It's Who some, it's, sings it? Um, Timon and Pumbaa have like an intro, introductory, like, yeah. I can see what's happening. Oh, yeah. I don't have a clue. Um, and then just a female voice <laughs> out, of, like, out of the heavens. It's not a character, which was kind of out of, uh, out of line with what... Disney was doing in the last few movies where the mm. characters were the ones singing. But it's not unheard of because in Robin Hood and some older movies, they had just a song, like somebody singing a song over, you know, a love scene or something. Not a love scene, a romantic scene. <laughs> um, you know, when the dogs are fucking and Lady and the Tramp. In the moment when the animals are fucking on the screen, we're going to have a nice sentimental musical number. Right. It, it had been a long time since they had a, uh, a Nanzai song. Uh -huh. Is that what you would call Whoa. it? Whoa. I know. Going Breaking out that film school time. Breaking out yeah. that BFA. Uh, so no, that's why I actually think I like this version more than the version in the movie. Okay, yeah, because I, I remembered it as being Elton John, so I think that's how, like... Tie, like yeah. Beauty and the Beast song like the and that whole New World version are not, like... I don't associate those with the movies really, but like this one is so like closely tied to like the images from the movie for me. I don't know why, but this one just really like, I hear this song and I instantly think of animated lions. I don't necessarily think that 
uh, but I can see. Yeah, it, it's it, it's kind of going from both. Like I very much associate, obviously associate the songs from this movie with Elton John. Like for me, they're like Elton John songs. They're not really as mm-hmm. much Disney songs. They're both to um, me. They're, they're, in, they're both. in the middle. Yeah, no, they're very much both. But this actually was one of the ones where I was like, after I, because I did like look over, uh, like seek out the YouTube clip of like, cutting it in the version inside the movie when you actually hear it. And I, I actually didn't find it nearly as memorable as like the music video version. Yeah. You can definitely tell it was written by a gay guy, I feel like. It, Why? There's a lot of like mas- the word vagabond. masculine imagery, <laughs> restless warrior, kings and vagabonds, wide-eyed wanderer. There are no women in this song. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically a lion in the sky with diamonds. All right. And have we come this far? Mm-hmm. I mean, guys, not everything is sexual. <laughs> the Lion King is sexual. No, no, it's yeah. entirely about reproductive fluids, Becky. We can admit. Oh my this. god. And and just like the theme of the song is like, can you feel the love tonight? It makes no promises about tomorrow. It's very much like the okay, in the I'll moment give you that. kind of song. I'll give you yeah. that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's about Netflix and chill before that. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next Elton John Netflix song. Netflix and Hakuma. <laughs> we're, not at, we're not at that yet. Uh, we're we're going to listen to Circle of Life, Elton John, 1994, The Lion King, uh, written again by Elton John and Tim Rice. But all our is to join the stampede. You should never take more than you give in the circle of life. That was the Circle of Life, uh, the second of three singles from the Lion King soundtrack. It charted at number 18 on the Hot 100, so not as good as Can You Feel the Love Tonight at number four, uh, but still, you know, a decent hit, uh, and it was nominated for a Best Song Oscar, but as I said, it uh, lost to Can You Feel the Love Tonight. What do you guys think of this song? Um, I think the song is undeniably very powerful. Um, again, I think the... I do think it is like similarly similarly kind of universal in that sense of just being like you know it, it it's kind of both suggestive and very non-specific at the same time mm-hmm. um but really we have to point out the music video the music video for the circle of life is incredible we, I do love it it begins I, yeah. it begins in a disney animator's office with a baby lion leaping off of his desk and wandering around the rest of the scene. It, it also shows James Earl Jones and Jeremy Irons recording their dialogue. Um, and it shows the animation, like the, uh, you know. The sketches. The sketches of what the animators were working with while making the movie. And I, at the time, I wanted to be an animator, and I loved all that. I, I bought a giant book of the art of the Lion King. I was really obsessed with the Lion King, guys. I still am, and I She's loved all that. She's Pumbaa right now. I am, yeah. It's got to be a very warm costume. <laughs> I'm I mean, sweating. I'm going to need to wash my couch after this. <laughs> um, but that's funny. This, this was, like, around the time that I started getting really into Disney's animation, like, as, as animation, just as kind of art, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
growing up in New Orleans, we were very close to Florida, so we would go to Disney World a lot, and I would always love to see, like, the animators' desks and stuff, and, like, see the few parts of the animation side of things that they would let you see. But as far as the song goes, I th- I like Can You Feel the Love Tonight a little bit more, but I still think this is a, as a decent song. Seems a little weird as just a normal radio song. Yeah, because the tied subject into the is about, yeah. like, something yeah. that you don't normally hear on the radio. It's yeah. about, yeah. like very spiritual kind of like the circle of life and death and all this stuff. And that's not what most pop songs are about. Well, and also I, the, just from a technical perspective, the musicality of this is pretty, it's a pretty complicated pop song. The way that the chords are structured is not the way that you would normally structure it as a pop song. So actually like listening back to this one in particular, did kind of give me a new appreciation for what Elton John did with these kind of movie songs. Mm -hmm. The instrumentation of this song is a lot more thoughtful than it had to be to do what that song did. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they created and constructed the song in a way that was very specific to the Lion King and to that like atmosphere and to the kind of African-centered story. Do you wish that Elton John's version started with and I'm just gonna I mean, I wish I was every Elton John song started with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sad that most chart-topping songs don't begin with that. Yeah, I was mistaken, again, kind of, like, thinking back on it, that I was thinking that this was the version in the movie, which, again, Me too. Like, ties... Totally Like, wrong. I just remembered that, and... So I think the song does work best in the context of the movie. They did change some of the lyrics from the animated movie oh, to sure. the pop version so that it's not so specific to lions i'm holding a lion up to the sky (laughs) i'm singing about lions i mean personally i'm really more of a just can't wait to be king kind of guy maybe even be prepared so this was never my like lion king jam but it holds up i mean it's perfectly listenable but yeah i agree like can you feel the love tonight is just much more of a universal song like it sounds like a pop song it's very romantic and this song is like it doesn't speak to me in, like, my life, you know? It's mm-hmm, not like yeah. I'm going to, like, put it on and, like, think of a special someone who's a tw- <laughs> 12-year-old. I feel like uh, think to, just thinking about that big circle of life and death. All right, let's go to our last Lion King song. It's Hakuna Matata. And, yes, this did have a radio play. Um, it was recorded by Jimmy Cliff and Lebo M. It was written by Elton John and Tim Rice. So let's listen. I was wrong. was Hakuna Matata. Uh, It charted number 26 on the U.S. Adult Contemporary, so it didn't make the Hot 100, but it still charted. Um, It was nominated for Best uh, best Song at the Oscars. Um, I don't think that Jimmy Cliff and Lebo M were there at the Oscars, though. I'm pretty sure that Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella sang it at the Oscars. That's what my memory can serve me, because I couldn't find it on YouTube. Well, because I think unlike the Elton John songs, this one is very different. Like, it almost just seems like a completely different song than the version in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, the movie version is very specific. Like, it uses the word warthog instead of (laughs) cool young one or whatever he says. And it's, in the movie, it sounds very much like these characters telling the story. Whereas this is, like, kind of a generic, 
kind of African-y tinge. Fake song. reggae. Yeah. No, it's not even African-y. It's fake reggae. That's true. Yeah. I mean, but Jimmy Cliff is like a real uh, and legendary reggae performer. Why do you call it fake reggae then? Because it's so transparently using his style to sell the quote-unquote Africanness of the song. Mm-hmm. I think it's a... I think it's mere, like, window dressing to what the song actually is. I don't think it works at all as a standalone song. It's kind of a weird, like, novelty. Yeah, it's a novelty. It's it's not my style of music, so I can't really tell would somebody that's into reggae or, like, get something out of it, but it really just seems like, hey, we have this song in the movie, we just want to make more money, so... Yeah. <laughs> it really sounds like it should have been in Cool Runnings or something, like... Yeah, or even like like a Sesame Street movie or something. Like, yeah. But I, I did. Know. So I actually owned the album that this was on because it was a separate you album from the Lion King uh-huh. soundtrack. What? Yes. Yes, there was a whole extra. I think oh. it was called Rhythm of the Pride Land. Yes. And I also oh, owned oh, this album. Yes. And most oh. of that music, I would say, is actually good. Like, better than this song. Like, those are. It's was it very, the score to the movie on that? I think some of the score was yeah. on. I think some of the score was on both of them. But then this one had a lot of, like, African-sounding music. And a lot of it they repurposed for the Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but that was actually, like, a like I when I, I had totally forgotten that this song existed until we were preparing for this podcast. And then it reminded me of this entire album that I owned that I had forgotten about. And I went back and just listened to, like, a few minutes of it. And I think most of that music holds up. I would just not particularly think that this song holds up that well mm-hmm. as a standalone single. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it feels very '90s that they could do like this African tinge music and not have any sort of like it really wasn't questioned at the time. It was just like that's fine, you know. We're just gonna at appropriate all. this culture at all. So when I was looking this up, I realized that Lion King was released the same week that Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman were killed. Oh my god! And yet the movie was still a hit. <laughs> yeah. Flashback so, Friday. It was a hit, even though the OJ thing was like. Yeah, so the Bronco chase was, like, two days after the release of this movie. (laughs) Oh, my God. And so it's just, like, doing this podcast is so interesting because you're aware, like, I know about O.J. Simpson and I know about, I experienced The Lion King, but how they, like, fit together, like, is not something I would ever think about until, like, and just seeing that, like, that was going on and I was, like, so, like, I probably didn't know about Oh, I remember seeing the Bronco chase on TV. So that but was like the first. You didn't really understand what was happening. Not at all. No. So it was just like, oh, there's a guy driving a car, and everyone's really interested in it. I was really into the Lion King, but it's just like <laughs> so interesting to think that like that was happening while the Lion King was out. Yeah. In well, and, like, see, that's really funny because like at the time the OJ situation happened, I was very aware of every step of it. And also very much aware of and a fan of The Lion King. But in my mind at the time and since, never at all did I associate those two things like... It's happening at the same time? At all. Like chronologically, like they're not anywhere like coincident in the way that they obviously were. That's so weird. Yeah. I feel like when you're a kid, you just don't make those kinds of connections. I don't think so. I like the Lion King, like every, yeah. And that's just the Lion King and you don't like associate it with other things that were happening at the same time. And I also think it's like time isn't really all that linear in the way that we remember things at all, you know, like at any age. So that wouldn't surprise me. I have to say that I'm really happy that I was a child when, in particular, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King came out. I feel like I was in the right spot to have 
these movies enter my life and be marketed, you know, directly to me, even though I think that all ages can enjoy them. I just love that this is part of my childhood. Yeah, totally. Well, let's, uh, we did the Peeble Bryson segment and then we just concluded the Lion King segment. Uh, I don't know what you would call this next segment. The six what? songs from Pocahontas <laughs> that were huge no, hits. No, it's just one song no. from Pocahontas and it's Colors of the Wind performed by Vanessa Williams in 1995. Star of Eraser. We love a Eraser. It was written by Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz, who you might uh, recall is uh, the guy who wrote Wicked, um, Godspell, and I did and not Pippin. recall any of that. So let's listen to it. Oh, man. The fucking synthesized wind chime keyboard is on every goddamn Disney song. I want to punch its midi face in. Have you ever heard the wolf cry to the All right, that was Colors of the Wind uh, from Pocahontas. It was uh, charted at number four on the Hot 100. It won Best Song at the Oscars. And I have a little personal story with Colors of the Wind. I was, see, I was 12 years old. Um, I didn't love Pocahontas, but I loved the music, specifically Just Around the River Bend and this song. I remember the trailer for this movie just being the song in the movie. I was obsessed with it. And I would sing it like, in school and people would be like because i was like known to be like the singer and people would be like becky sing the song listen to becky sing the song and i would sing the entire song <laughs> of colors of the wind uh acapella just guys... like walking down the hallway no, like, like in the song. locker like in the locker room uh Let like after gym class <laughs> becky sing the song do it becky you did your volleyball give us, no, give us the open you think you own whatever land you land on <laughs> that's all i'm not doing the rest is that Vanessa L over there? <laughs> Just Vanessa Williams. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, oh. from Eraser. Um, so I really like this song, but <laughs> <laughs> but not like not on the radio liking it. I like the movie version a million times better. I could probably watch that scene in the movie over and over and over and be happy, but like I can't get through this Vanessa Williams version i fucking love this song <laughs> oh my god i do i Whoa. i had there was heard a, it there was a new wind that blew through here <laughs> which color was it all of all them, of them. <laughs> um yeah i had not really heard this song since 1995 i it's very catchy so i probably could have like sung part of it and especially certain lyrics are oddly memorable like Blue Corn Moon? Have you ever heard the wolf cry to the Blue Corn Moon? Yeah, yeah. honestly, that Blue Corn Moon. You're not like, no, I haven't. Like, <laughs> But I want to. I want to. Where can I hear that? Is that every, like, Thursday night or something? But, like, the song is so vivid and visual, and I don't know. It just makes me feel, like, really, like, like I'm like, yeah, like, I'm on board with your message, Fucking Vanessa where, Williams. Show me that bullfrog, wow, goddammit. Wow, was yeah, not expecting the your The bobcat, love. the blue corn moon. Uh, like, honestly, give me all of it. Fucking the blue corn tortilla chips. Give me all of it. Um, I never saw this movie, and I never will. 
Because it's a disgusting story about that's a whole different story. noble savages and, and colonization. Yeah, but this song is absolutely beautiful. Um, that is another surprising opinion. Yeah, I actually thought you were gonna call it the fucking fart thing. <laughs> nope, nope. I, I had no kind of flatulent response to this, which whatsoever. would have been a really more appropriate joke for a song called about wind. I'm just yeah. and about the blue oh corn God. moon too. Mm. Um, <laughs> wow, so, so you like the Vanessa Williams recording? Um, well, I, I do. I did seek out the YouTube clip of the movie mm-hmm. version of it, and I did prefer that one. Mm-hmm. See, I haven't um, heard that one since I saw the movie, which was a long, long time ago. And so I granted, might great. granted, it might have just been a fan edit video. I really don't know. YouTube provided. <laughs> it was Becky's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bane supercuts. Um, <laughs> uh, I will ne- neither confirm nor deny that it was me. <laughs> that means it was her. Uh, but I really enjoyed the song. It's very moving. Again, I feel the... Um, Again, musically, it is a song that is written to evoke the kind of feeling of Native American tribal music. And um, I don't know to what extent it succeeds or is, you know, hokey or whatever. And in comparison to that, like how authentic it would ever be considered. Um, But just as its own pop song, I thought it was very moving and effective. Yeah, I think the lyrics are a little bit more clever than we often get from these songs. Most definitely. You can own the earth and still all you'll own is earth until you can paint with all the colors of the wind. Yeah, it's a beautifully written song. I think I just so much prefer the movie version. Mm -hmm. Um, I might be wrong. Is is it Leah Salonga who is singing it? I don't know. Um, She's a Broadway performer. I might be mistaken. I think it may be, though. Because I can't remember if she was also Jasmine's singing voice, but... Um, regardless, whoever's singing it, I think you're great. <laughs> and no offense to <laughs> Vanessa Williams, it's just a little bit slower um, than what I would prefer than the the movie version. Mm, I'm gonna have to check out the movie version now and see see how it compares. Because when I I listened to this the other night, I was kind of blown away, <laughs> and I listened to all the rest of the songs, and then I went back to Colors of the Wind. Oh my Winds. god. Wow. All right. Well, let's move on to um, so the same year that Pocahontas came out was the debut of Pixar. Um, and with their uh, first movie ever was Toy Story. Um, and they had a song that was called You've Got a Friend in Me by Randy Newman. Haven't heard of it. <laughs> well, you're going to hear it right now. You got no. a who and what? You're my favorite deputy. You've got a friend in me. <laughs> You've got a friend in me. I don't have to play much. Chris is making his most Chris face yet. Okay, that was You've Got a Friend in Me, and we're already laughing. Um, It was nominated for Best Song at the Oscars. It lost to Colors of the Wind. Wow. Um, There is some justice in this world. Disney justice. It did not chart in the U.S. I think in the context of Toy Story, this song is fine. I think that I'm never going to listen to this no, like on my never. iPod. And I looked back again, and this is the song that goes over the opening credits of mm-hmm. the first Toy Story. Oh, it's the opening credit. It is. And it's it's and, the very beginning. Like, in that context, it is fucking perfect for kind of starting that excellent trilogy of movies. And it really very effectively thematically sums up what all those movies are about. I would never, ever listen to it on its own. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird how much it doesn't like 
as good as it in the is in the movie, like it just isn't a song that you would listen to. Like I don't, I can't put I my finger it, on why. I think why. it's the same with Beauty and the Beast. Where I'm watching Beauty and the Beast, great, it's a great love ballad, love it. Listen to it, you know, not with the movie. I don't like it at all. Yeah, <laughs> but the v- difference is that this is the exact same version oh, too. Oh, that's true. So I don't know, like. I don't know. It's just like I maybe I've just heard it too many times or it just like hit me at the wrong moment. But like I just never connected to this song. And even though I agree that it's like perfectly fine in the movie, like I'm I'm perfectly happy hearing it and watching the movie. And as soon as you play it outside of the movie, I'm like, please turn that <laughs> off. Please finish this. All right. Let's uh, we. We do not have a friend in Randy. New. <laughs> Apparently not. All right. Let's move on to. Um, the Hunchback of Notre Dame that came out in 1996. Do we have to? <laughs> this song, Someday, is performed for, by All for One. It did not appear in the movie. It appeared at the end credits, but it was actually supposed to be in the movie, sung by a character. Um, but the move, the song that we're going to talk about next, God Help the Outcasts, was written instead. It replaced it in the movie. So instead, they had All for One uh, sing it, and they put it on the end credits. I'm going to play it. Someday, our fight will be one day, we'll stand in the Sunday, that bright afternoon, oh, till then, on days when the sun is gone. <laughs> okay, that was a weird shot. <laughs> There are a lot of weird Quasimodo's shots. face just appeared in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, There's I, some weird ones. I did watch this It's one. really weird. It's, <laughs> it's a very weird video. Again, like the annals of amazing green because screen. Because they're in a city. Like, shouldn't they be at, like, a cathedral? <laughs> like, I don't expect them to actually go they're to Notre Dame. Modern but... New York City. I make love to you when you want me to. Wrong band, Seth. That was Someday, yep. uh, performed by All for One. No, it was, that is the same group that's saying this. <laughs> it was written by Ellen Mankin and Stephen Schwartz. Um, it charted number 30 on the Hot 100. Did it? It did. It charted. That's wow. why I was like, we're definitely, even though it wasn't technically in the movie, besides the end credits, it still charted and it was still a single. Um, what do you what guys year? think? Uh, 1996. 96. Oh, wow. That's surprisingly late for All for One. Yeah, this might have been their death rattle. That might have been their, that was their swan song. <laughs> I'm still trying to wake back up from having just heard it yeah. for four minutes. So, um, it's boring. It's boring. Like, I can see exactly why it was replaced from the movie, because we've been talking about these songs. Like, the best songs, some of them exist okay as pop singles, but most of them have something to do with this movie. This mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the movie, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. This could be in any movie, like... The lyrics are so generic, um, and, you know, we're going to talk about God Help the Cast next, but that actually feels like that movie. This is just, mm-hmm. like, a, a really generic song that could have been in Anastasia that, that we were talking about in the last episode, you know? It's just, there's nothing about it that speaks to this particular story. Yeah, it's got no hook, and I haven't even seen this movie, but you can tell that it has absolutely nothing to do with the film. No. Um, I thought it was a pretty song, like, I, I think it's a pretty song. That's pretty much all. Like, I don't, I 
agree with you. The lyrics are completely generic beyond belief. I think that's why they were like, let's use this as our pop single to to market the movie. Maybe. Because yeah. all the other, um, you haven't seen it, Seth, but a lot, almost all the songs are very specific to the plot of this movie mm. that I, I guess with... God help the outcast. They changed some lyrics, but like all the other songs are just so specific to Quasimodo mm-hmm. um, that it wouldn't have made any sense to have them as singles. So it makes sense that they would like have to have something, but this is just very boring. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess this was the first one of these songs that wasn't nominated for an Oscar. No. Right? Oh, you're right. Yep. So, I mean, I think the public spoke or at least the Academy <laughs> and they did not appreciate this either. I, I wish that they had done something like the Feast of Fools song or something like that would have been like a fun <laughs> single. I don't know. I this one is just like super boring. So Seth, you haven't seen this movie? No. Not even a bit. Okay, this is one of the most underrated Disney movies. It's really? Yeah, it's underrated and although I will admit this is when the Disney renaissance was starting its decline, um, I still think there, this movie is very risky and yeah. very like there's very just serious things in this movie and I feel like people forget about it but it's definitely worth a watch and the music is very gorgeous. Yeah. I'll check it out. We were talking about Don Bluth last time like this, this movie feels, actually feels more like a Don Bluth movie. This definitely feels like more like Don Bluth. Yeah it has that, that it. same thing of like it, mm-hmm. it's about people who are suffering people who are poor people who have nothing but their faith or you know love and it, it's very it gets really dark and there's also talk about hell. Yeah. There's a whole song called Hellfire. I wish that was what all four women were singing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I mispronounced it before. It's the Hunchback of Notre Dame, not Notre Dame. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to take a listen to the second uh, song off the Hunchback of Notre Dame soundtrack that was released as a pop single. Uh, It's God Help the Outcasts. What a title right there. Um, and uh, Bette Midler is singing it. Uh, Not Britney Spears. (laughs) Not, Not Britney Spears. And again, it was written by Ella Macon and Stephen Schwartz. That was God Help the Outcasts. Um, it was not nominated for an Oscar, and it did not chart. Can't imagine why. Yeah, i i like the I like the song in the movie, but there's just no reason for this version to exist. Wait, you mean that the American pop music loving public doesn't go completely ape shit for songs about outcasts? I Come mean, on, I what feel about like the if group? This had outcast? been a country single, it would have done gangbusters. <laughs> yeah, like a Trisha Yearwood. Or if, like, it had been a Green Day song about being an outcast. It was like, you know what? I would love to hear the Green Day punk version of God Help the Outcast. I totally outcast. would, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually really like this song, um, but I don't particularly like this version. And I was actually surprised because I bought the Hunchback soundtrack mm-hmm. specifically for this song because I heard it in the movie yeah, and thought was, it was yeah. gorgeous. And it works really, really well in the movie. Uh, we were talking about the last... Um, that they replaced Someday with this song sung Mm -hmm. by Esmeralda. And that was like Mm -hmm. a really great choice because the song is perfect in the movie. And then I heard this version and like, I just feel like Bette Midler is really phoning it in. They're like, Bette, what are you doing like during lunch? Like, can you come in and, you know, just knock this one out? Like she's, 
I don't I, feel like she's trying. I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but I love Bette Midler in movie roles and in no musical capacity whatsoever at any point in time. Oh, not When Beneath My Wings, even? And that I feel like that is the a Rose? ridiculously cheesy song. Wow. That is yeah. that is an unpopular I don't opinion. I feel like I've heard enough Bette Midler I'll, I'll music to really I'll allow it to really be unpopular, because I'm sorry. I She always sounds like she's... She sounds like it's the 300th take of it, and she's like got what her performance is like robotically down to the point where it no longer sounds like she's genuinely singing from the root of her being. Mm. Um, and she's fine technically on that, at least on that side of things. But yeah, it just doesn't move me at all. Yeah, you should listen to the version in the movie. Like, it works so much better. Just like this theme of like God well, helping these outcasts. The yes, yeah. you should definitely yeah. watch the movie. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Please, God, let's move on. We're now moving on to Hercules that was released in 1997, and the pop single is Go the Distance. Uh, this uh, recording of it was performed by Michael Bolton. It was written Ooh. by Alan Menken and David Zippel. So let's give it a well, listen. Go the damn Also, what is with this video of the kids it's... sneaking into the art gallery or something? <laughs> As you do. It makes sense. My choir definitely did this song. So I know the also part. <laughs> I think I was out of choir by this point. That was Go the Distance. Um, it charted at number 24 on the Hot 100, so kind of high. Wow. Uh, it was nominated for Best Song uh, at the Oscars. It lost to My Heart Will Go On. Oh, what a surprise. <laughs> so we return to Celine. Yes. Um, and there's actually a Spanish version uh, yes, that, is performed, is. Oh, oh. that is performed by Ricky Martin, who Ricky also did- Ricky fucking Martin. <laughs> Wait, it wasn't performed by Miguel Bolton? <laughs> <laughs> it was sung by Ricky Martin, who also voiced Hercules in the Spanish uh, language version of Hercules. Hercules. The Spanish version of the song is so much better. Okay. Oh, I'm sure it is. You guys, I actually like did not know this until I listened to this. I really like this song. <laughs> it's a little sad because it's Michael Bolton. It feels a little late. For a Michael Bolton, like, why did they I hire was just thinking that. Michael Bolton in 1997? I was, I was, I was trying to, th- okay, so here's how I square that away in my mind. Disney tends to be a risk-averse yes. company, mm-hmm. and they're always slightly behind what the tail end of the curve is, you mm-hmm. know? So I feel like if they had literally done that a couple of years before, that would have made perfect sense and might have been seen as, like, a risky or bold move on their part. A bold? But by, mm, 
Yeah. yeah. This was uh, his last top 40 song. So That's not surprising. Bye bye, Michael Bolton. Um, but yeah, Bolton. He, he had already gone the distance. I don't think that uh, we needed. Was he going for speed? I, I don't think he could go that fast at this point. So are you saying you like this version of the song? I like this song. So was the song in the movie? It was. It was sung by Roger Bart, who is a Broadway performer that I really like personally. Oh, is this like the training montage? Kind no, of song? this is when or... he's when Hercules is still like not very strong. Um and he's, you know, going through challenges, um, but he's still kind of like a weakling mm-hmm. and he's singing about, you know, you know, going the distance, going to be stronger. Um and the singing voice is Roger Bart, who's a Broadway performer. Right. Um and I, I really like, like, this song. I like the melody. I like mm-hmm. the lyrics. I It gets caught in my head. But again, Michael Bolton, not... Yeah, really. I'm trying to... Because, like, I don't hate Michael Bolton singing. I'm not sure if it's just the fact that I know that it's Michael Bolton that bothers me. <laughs> or do I... Like, I think I can imagine it being sung better. Or, like, the Ricky Martin version just sounds a lot better to me. Um that's because it's Ricky Martin and I'm like Ricky Martin that's fun and cool <laughs> at least it was in 1997 I guess right she bangs and yeah all. um yeah oh I've heard of her she bangs doesn't she <laughs> I can listen to this version of the song and be perfectly happy so I'm coming up like pretty pro on even even wow. the Michael Bolton-ness uh, I'm wow I love My this song so much but I can't finish was, it ugh. you hate you don't like the song at all I do not like oh, it oh there are so much worse songs than this there are no, there are, but I feel, but again, I feel like as far as Disney being a company that's rather perpetually slightly behind the curve and just instinctually very conservative, I feel like they picked this boat way too late. They did. I will also do a little shout out to I Won't Say I'm in Love, which is my favorite song from the Hercules soundtrack. Um, and that would have been a good pop single, but it's not. I like Zero to Hero. But that would, not, that would not have made a good pop single. Yeah. Just because it hasn't, you know, it doesn't, it's about <laughs> the plot. So, all right. <laughs> Strolling right on down all right. memory lane. So our next, uh, our next pop single is Reflection, uh, performed by Christina Aguilera from the 1998 <laughs> movie Mulan. It was written by David Zippel and Matthew Wilder, two people who I've never heard of before. <laughs> oh, the Zippel Wilder team, that one escaped you? <laughs> oh, God. This music video. That was Reflection. Um, it charted number 19 on Adult Contemporary, not with the not the Hot 100. The song marks Aguilera's first appearance on any Billboard chart, though, so that's uh, wow. very significant as far as her career goes. Yeah, this was Disney ahead yeah. of the curve for once. They went from Michael Bolton, I know. who was like at the tail end of his that's relevance, true. to Christina, who had like, not broken out yet. Yeah, so this was her breakout single. She also recorded it in Spanish, "Mi Mi Reflejo," I think. Um, I'm very surprised to say that this wasn't nominated for an Oscar. Just because, you know, generally Disney songs are. And personally, I like this song. I I think it's honestly one of the more memorable parts of Mulan, which just for me, I never really got into. I really like the song. And I think as a pop single, I think it works. Eh. Uh, 
I mean, it's not terrible. I wonder if it wasn't nominated because it was a new artist. Like, because Disney has frequently gone with people who are so... Such At juggernauts. Levels? Yeah, like Elton John. Um, maybe not. I don't know where Peebo was. I was... Get up to Peebo's level. <laughs> Michael Bolton. These were all, like, proven artists. And this might have just not... I don't think the old folks in the Academy connected to Extina. <laughs> she wasn't Extina yet. No, she wasn't. She still had all those letters. But she always had an Extina inside yeah. her. Um, so this video was hilarious. Uh, Christina Aguilera is standing in a lily pad filled pond wearing the most 90s blonde wig imaginable that I believe is in a Rachel cut. Um, she is singing with the most frequently concentrated like music video singing face. She is like staring through me as I watch this music video. I never saw Mulan, um, but I think it's a. Uh, I think this song is a perfectly lovely like pop song, but unlike like the the Lion King songs, unlike um, even the Aladdin songs, like there's no real attempt to like make it stylistically anything like the music that would fit in a movie called Mulan, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's weird because, like, the music video then is, like, having Christina Aguilera pose in front of all of these, like, Asian-style backdrops. Well, that's what I want to... it looks like it was filmed at Huntington Gardens in, like, the (laughs) Japanese garden there. Yeah. I just like that, like, they... Disney was like, okay, well, we've got a movie about, like... I think Mulan is Chinese also, by the way, but that still... That also wouldn't (laughs) surprise me. An Asian girl, and they're like... Well, we need someone kind of ethnic for this. I guess we'll go with the blonde. Like, <laughs> yeah. she's like half Ecuadorian, but didn't even really speak like fluent Spanish. But they're like, well, we'll get her to record it in Spanish. That's the same thing, right? Like, yeah, no, it all makes perfect sense. And then also near the end, I want to shout out that she releases a dove into the sky near the end of the video. I, I think Christina died. Aguilera does that in every one of her videos. Is that in her later writer? periods, it comes out of her vagina. Yeah. So Dirty. I have to say, I cannot buy Christina Aguilera as someone who does not love her own reflection. Her haircut's kind of bad yeah. in the video. So as Maybe a counterpoint... she just doesn't have a mirror. As a counterpoint to um, Reflection, I would like to recall the song V is for Vanity from her album Bionic, (laughs) in which she sings, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the flyest bitch of them all? Never mind, I am. (laughs) That bitch is so fucking pretty. Yeah, I am. If I were her, I would kiss me. So I guess whatever her reflection issues were in 1998, she got over them. Yeah, big time. Wow. Wow. All right. And her fans are crazy and will probably now like send us hate mail because they don't like people making fun of But you of. know what they say? Hate mail is mail. <laughs> <laughs> send us mail. Email us. All right, moving on to the next song. Um the Ugh. next <laughs> this next song uh that Seth is obviously gonna love. Ugh. It is called You'll Be My Heart. It's from the nineteen ninety nine movie Tarzan. It's recorded by Phil Collins and it was written by Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Take my hand, hold it tight I will protect you from all around me I will be here, don't you cry For I'm so small, you seem so strong My arms will hold you, keep you safe and warm This bond between us can't be broken 
That was You'll Be In My Heart. It charted uh, number one for 19 weeks on the adult contemporary charts. It charted pretty hard, you guys. <laughs> and it was number 21 on the Hot 100. It won the best song at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. It beat Amy Mann's Save Me at the Oscars. For Magnolia? Yeah, that is so fucking depressing. So fucking wrong. It's so wrong. So listening to it this time, I kind of like the verse and then I fucking hate the chorus. Like the chorus is just so annoying to me that it kills everything. I'll go. I like this song. <laughs> really? God damn it. I like it. God damn it. I like it. I like Phil Collins' voice and I like it. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <sighs> I like it. I know it's like the most like con- adult contemporary late 90s yeah. L- easy listening song. This song should but... not be heard unless you're getting your teeth drilled under heavy sedation. It was not easy listening for me. That was a difficult It's really lesson. not. And he actually sang this in the movie. So, mm. like, his version singing is in the movie. Yeah, like, this just, like, again, like, so I I'm think s- the worst songs are the ones that just have nothing to do with the movie. And this yes. literally has nothing to do with Tarzan. What the fuck? I did not see this movie and I will not see this movie to try to establish a, a link. But there's no Seth, way this song... never seen a Disney movie. <laughs> there's no way this song has anything to do with this fucking movie. And Phil Collins is... Oh, this movie actually takes place inside someone's heart. Oh, wait, does it? Yeah, it's oh, okay. just Tarzan swinging around. It's really more, this This song is more an establishing shot than anything else. Um, Phil Collins is a fucking mayonnaise jar of songwriting and pop style. Some stylings. people like mayo. Yeah, some people really love fucking mayo and Miracle Whip. Um, Phil Collins is Lucifer. Oh, my God. That yeah. Is, that is so an exaggeration. Lucifer and mayonnaise, the same. Yeah. You well, like your no. sandwiches dry, don't you? <laughs> yep. I, w- I would agree that Save Me is a better song. Oh, man. Um, a thousand. Like, yeah. And, and that's the song that, like, and again, I'm sure nine-tenths of that is just retrospect. But, like, in retrospect, that is a song that both completely works beautifully on its own and so, like, elevates the drama of the movie that it's in. I think just more people had seen Tarzan that year than Magnolia. So more people were familiar with Phil Collins' song. Anyway. Yep. I did not, however, I did not subject my family to seeing Tarzan in the movie theater at Christmas time. I did, however, go with my family to watch Magnolia in the Remind theater. Me, which one has Tame the Cunt in it? Is it Tarzan or Magnolia? Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that's so Magnolia. I think it's so funny how much you loved Disney the first half of this period, yeah. but like we're so adamantly against the second half. Well, what, like what were you doing in the late nineties? Because like I don't like the second half more, you know, but I saw the movies. Um, because of my love for yeah, the first I half. I saw all of these movies in theater. I so think I it was right it, after I think it's this. interesting that you didn't even see them. Well, so I think that my taste in movies just really, like, kind of blew up and started really developing around that time. And I do wonder if I had, if I would have had a less hateful reaction to listening to those songs now if I'd seen those movies when they'd come out. Maybe. Well, we're at our last song... Um, and it is from a Pixar movie, 1999's Toy Story 2. The song is When She Loved Me. It's performed by Sarah McLaughlin, and it was written by Randy Newman. And it'll make you want to kill yourself. 
So the years went by, I stayed the same But she began to drift away I was left alone Still I waited for the day When she'd say That was when she loved me. <laughs> we're, we're crying here. Um, it was nominated for a Best Song Oscar. It lost to You'll Be In My Heart. Um, it did not chart in the U.S., so it wasn't so much a radio play, but as, uh, you know, just a song from the movie that got nominated for an Oscar and is gorgeous. So this song for me kind of exemplified a pretty definitive, in my view, like turn of Disney back toward uh, making movies that dealt with very serious emotional things. Like, And I feel like Pixar really forced Disney to open back up to that in a way that it didn't do like during the period with, when Don Bluth kind of emerged as their competition. Well, Toy Story, uh, Pixar at this point, I believe Disney was distributing their movies, but not like Pixar was just making them without any involvement from Disney. Do you know if that's right or not? I think Disney was just distrib- at some point. distributing. The Disney hooks were in that company for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I just mean, I don't know if it was Disney... Uh, making these decisions for this kind of song and this kind of emotional uh, subject matter. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to it's Pixar being the one spearheading that. Yeah, I think um, the point still stands that it was kind of Pixar, like forcing Disney's hand, like, because this is what people wanted, you know, just that, like, when Toy Story came out, like, it was just so innovative because it did have that emotional hook that, a lot of these movies had been missing for a while. And so I think like Disney kind of realized that they had to get on to this train or just be totally left behind because Pixar was not afraid to take these creative risks and be different and yeah, actually like make you feel, I mean, it's not, this is maybe probably the first example of them really like doing the gut punch thing, I think, which they would do Mm -hmm. later in, um, Every movie. (laughs) Every uh, movie. (laughs) Inside Out, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is really one of the first moments where Pixar ripped your fucking heart out and handed it to you. Who did not cry at this song? Um, I I cried watching the YouTube (laughs) clip of this song. (laughs) And you know what? It was written by Randy Newman, so Randy Newman is a great (laughs) songwriter. I think just when we... We had such horrible opinions of You've Got a Friend (laughs) in Me, but I think if you just put a beautiful... No, I didn't. I didn't. I feel like it really again like i feel like it really fits this world and fits these characters um but i would listen to this oh really? you know what i mean but yeah. i wouldn't listen to randy newman oh okay but i would totally listen to this on my ipod <laughs> I probably i probably have this in a playlist somewhere <laughs> does it just the, i'm horribly depressed and i'm gonna stare out the window <laughs> and think about jumping in a traffic playlist uh-huh. is this my uh-huh. feelings of abandonment mix <laughs> yeah um this one holds up really well i mean it's it, feels, it yeah, sounds like something that could be beautiful. released today yeah um, yeah, Sarah McLaughlin's always done pretty good at soundtracking, so g- good job. 
Well, those are our 13 pop singles. So what I want to, now that we've gone over all of them, I'm going to ask you guys, what is your favorite one and which one is the worst out of this bunch? Seth, why don't you go first? No, I will not go first. (laughs) God damn it. Okay, I think that it's a tie for first between the Sarah McLachlan song and uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight. I think both of those songs I would listen to today. Um, I wouldn't have to think of them in regards to Toy Story 2 or The Lion King to enjoy them. Um, As far as the worst... Wait, can I ask a question? Did you ever walk down the high school hallways singing When She Loved Me? (laughs) No, I did not. No. Okay. You didn't even go back to a high school reunion just to sing that. And these aren't just my like favorite. Tears streaming down your face. And these aren't my favorite Disney songs. These are my favorite recordings. Right. You know what I mean? That's why I'm picking as my favorite recordings of these. And I think the worst one is probably just someday because it's just boring. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just boring. I have three answers for my favorite. <laughs> no, <laughs> two, two tops. All right, then I'm cutting out. Can you feel the love tonight? Okay. <laughs> okay, because that one is the iconic one, which is like. Like, if I had to crown one, yeah, why not pick, like, The Lion King? Like, everyone can get behind that. But for me personally, I kind of have to go with Colors of the Wind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> slash Go the Distance. Really? Yeah. Whoa! Yeah, but the Go the Distance, I really like the Ricky Martin version okay. better. Okay. So I would pick that one. <laughs> one we didn't even talk about, really. No, okay. but it, it's What's the same the title of the song in Spanish? I Isn't really it, um, want to hear you pronounce it. It's, uh, El no, dis- no importo... Nope, nope. No, no importo... Thank you, thank you, let him say it. Yeah, no, yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that one. No importa la distancia. <laughs> Indeed. I would have to say, When She Loved Me. Hmm. Um... Or Colors of the Wind. Like, it, both as, uh, yeah, as far as the song and the record, yeah, I really, I think those two were kind of the stand- standouts for me. And the worst? If you had to pick uh, one, apparently. <laughs> I think it's the Phil Collins honestly, one of all the hatred about it's Lucifer. It's a murderer's like... row of horrific <laughs> You're like, all of the other 11. <laughs> yeah, most of the rest. Um... See, that's the thing is like the the Disney songs that I grew up loving were the ones from movies made t- 20 or 30 years before I was born. Um, I would say the worst, I mean, Go the Distance would no. have to be the worst. <laughs> that has to be the worst. Like, just a, a song having less than nothing to do. Showdown. Come on. All right. Uh, my worst, <laughs> my worst song is also someday. It's just like I can't get through it. I'm like yeah. falling asleep. Yeah. You'll be in my heart is a very close second. No. I don't like that one. It's but. not good. Our tastes all over the map. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Some of our tastes are good, <laughs> and then some of us like a Phil Collins song. So wait. Me and you, the rest of America. <laughs> do you like? Can you feel the love tonight? Um. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm totally. It, Again, I still think it is cheesy, but, like, I really think it still fits that movie. Um, and as a song, I still feel like it's 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 a solid song. All right. So I guess, like, collectively, all, like, Can You Feel the Love Tonight and Colors of the Wind. Yeah, I like Colors of the Wind. I just don't really love that recording. but mm-hmm. And also When She Loved Me, right? Yeah, yeah we all like When She Loved Me. I like that one, too. I think it's interesting that Disney doesn't really do this anymore. Like, they will have a yeah. song over the end credits. Um, and again, like, they... 
Okay, well, they had one for Frozen where Demi Lovato, I believe, sang Let It Go. But I don't know how big of a hit that really was because the song itself in the movie was the bigger hit. Yeah. Right? Which is really And that got radio play too, right? Yeah, it did. Uh, the Idina Menzel version. Yeah. They tried both and what people wanted was just Idina Menzel singing. So it's just kind of interesting and like... Well, like, and then I, mm-hmm. I, on a parallel track, I also think Disney have kind of gone into overdrive as far as, like, making their own musicals, you know, mm-hmm. High School Musical and all of that. Like, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. Like, they get their soundtracks selling many, many yeah. millions of units. But I wonder if they had released just these songs in the movie version at the time as radio songs. Like, those might have been even bigger hits, too. Like, maybe, maybe they just didn't think that that would fly. Like... That was yeah, I too, wonder what like, went into like, making a small cottage industry out of picking kind of pop vocalists of the time and putting them on these songs. Because now, like, if you talk to anyone who's our age and you're like, oh, like, listen to A Whole New World, like, they go to the movie version. They don't go to Pebo. No, yeah. they don't. And, like... Maybe <laughs> they might go to Elton John's versions of the Lion King right, songs. Right, yeah. I think that's yeah. the only one that, like, kind of transcends the movie versions. It's probably the Elton John ones. Other than well, that, I think it's always the movie versions that are... The definitive m- version of Well, and then I also think that Disney did a much more affirmative job of pushing Elton John out there and being like, Elton John is doing all the songs for Lion King. Like, whereas they were not like, Celine Dion and Peebo Bryson are co-singing on this song. Like, they, they didn't make a big deal out of their pop collaboration and their pop collaborators, and I feel like they kind of did that with Elton John because he wrote and, the music for the show. Yeah, the exactly, yeah. exactly. I think they did kind try of to do that thing. with Phil and Collins th- because Phil Collins did write the music for Tarzan. True. Yeah, The Lion King was also a huge hit, and like mm-hmm. maybe part of that was even because of the music. I don't know. That just kind of all came together perfectly. But if The Lion King wasn't that great of a movie, but it still had all the Elton John songs, like you know, maybe no one would like those songs. You know. It's, mm. It's all kind of tied together. All right. Well, that was us uh, taking a look back at the Disney pop songs of the 90s. Lots of surprising opinions here. (laughs) And uh, yeah, Hakuna Matata. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the When We Were Young podcast, uh, which has been recorded here in the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. Uh, If you have enjoyed this podcast, we really hope that you will subscribe to us on iTunes. And we also hope that you'll like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash show. You can follow us on Twitter and tweet us at show, And you can even send us an email and maybe suggest a subject for a future show episode at show at gmail.com. And if you would like to help us defray the costs of creating and bringing to you a podcast this wonderful that comes to you this freely, you can donate to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash when we were young. And Becky will now sing Colors of the Wind. <laughs> Think you own whatever land you land on. No, I have to, I have to play uh, I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Oh, you're going to do all of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's gonna come after this. <laughs> that's, that's what it's gonna not sound a like. Keyboard. <laughs> I know what keyboards sound like. And I am and will continue to be Seth Pearson. I'm Peebo Bryson. What? <laughs> oh, we're done. <laughs> Podría ser alguien 
si lograse amar y también soñé que si es 